Hi, this is Gordon Russell, host of The Neutral Ground, the New Orleans Advocate's weekly podcast on the stories behind some of the stories that are making waves in South Louisiana this week. Thanks to our sponsors, Gardner Realtors, and thank you for joining us. Hi, and thanks for joining us today. Uh, Today I'll be talking with reporter John Zimmerman about the infamous no call that may have kept the Saints out of the Super Bowl. Then I'll sit down with uh, Jefferson Parish reporter uh, Feynman Roberts to talk about the upcoming trial of a corrupt, allegedly corrupt DEA agent. And uh, last, I'll sit down with Jessica Williams, who covers City Hall, to talk about the surprising turnaround by the city council on the energy power plant. Thanks for joining us. Uh, first first up is John. John, let's just listen to what happened yesterday first. Sounds good. Breeze from the gun, takes the snap, goes to the near side, oh, hit early, where's the flag? You don't get one. Early hit on Tommy Lee. Sean Payne is all the way down at the 10. Unbelievable no call. Wow. Not a flag to be found. Unbelievable. That's the second time. You can't challenge it. I mean, he he doesn't even look for the ball. Mikel Roby Coleman. So, uh, John, as evidenced by your hoarse voice, you were at the game yesterday. Sounds like you did your part. Um, what, What did you make of that? Yeah, I was screaming there like everybody else. It was actually uh, down on our side of the field that that horrible play happened, and and all of us in, in the section that I was in were screaming even before the ball hit the ground on the <laughs> pass interference call that wasn't uh, at, at the end of the game. And uh, you know, we were with those who uh, went stunningly silent at the end of the game. And just from your perspective and your seats, how obvious of a call was this before you saw the replay? Yeah, I think we were all screaming for a flag. Uh, I don't think we ever saw the replay, uh, you know, a little bit later, but we were all screaming for the flag. It was obvious to everybody. Interesting. So, uh, John, you spent a little time today just going around and visiting with some denizens of our fair city to kind of take their temperature. Um, what, what did you, how were people taking this? Well, I think really hard, and it was really quiet out there. Uh, everybody's moving a little bit slower, quite a bit slower out there today. I mean, it was a holiday, but, uh, you know, the people I spoke with, when you talk to them about kind of, uh, you know, who is to blame, uh, you know, the thoughts quickly turn to the NFL and, and conspiracy theories with regard to the refs and the desire of the league or the purported desire of the league to see the Rams and not the Saints in the Super Bowl. It was sort of matter of fact, like, you know, of course. Obviously they have it against <laughs> Right. Like you're naive if you believe otherwise. That's right. Um, let's listen to a typical call. Um, the talk radio, of course, was burning up with this sort of thing, too. And- Cedric and Baton Rouge has been kind enough to hang on. Ced, good morning. How you doing, man? Yeah, I was just I was just calling about the play, bro, about the uh, the play where, 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 you know, the targeting play. I don't see how over millions of people seen that play and two eyes didn't see that was right up on it. Four eyes. That, Six that, eyes. That, Even Vilovich, who says he didn't see it, there's like all these great still images of him looking at the play. There's three officials barreling right. down at that thing, staring at that play. I just don't know what they got against Louisiana. I mean, <laughs> we get bad calls every time. It, I mean, it, it just don't go our way. And I feel like that was a game that wasn't taken from us. It was stolen from us. And I feel like we should be in the Super Bowl. They hate and us. In my eyes, we are the Super Bowl team. They hate you us because they ain't us, Cedric. And look, I, I, I agree, man. I, I, I get what you're saying. So is that sort of a typical lament? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think that really people are looking for a place to lay the blame. 
Um, and you know, these guys, these three refs who are on the field, um, you know, there, there are some ties, they live in the Los Angeles area. And so it was sort of easy fodder for people to pick on. I just, I think, uh, you know, there's sort of this lament of the Saints that never get their, their just uh, desserts or, or the respect that they deserve, and it was kind of across the city. Yeah, and coming off of a painful exit last year, of course, last year we couldn't blame it on the refs, but I think there's, um, you know, that may have exacerbated this feeling of things, you know, things haven't gone our way, and this, you know, this time there's a much more convenient scapegoat. Yeah, I spoke to some sports psychologists today, and they talk about, you know, sort of the well-established um, – academics to talk about fandom and and how it buoys a community and self-esteem and and fans bask in the reflected glory of their teams and and when they lose they kind of cut off that kind of reflected failure you know sometimes no longer saying it we as a team you know when you lose you kind of distance yourself a little bit but this kind of puts fans in an awkward spot you can't really blame the team like last year you know the the play at the end where, where you know the fans kind of rallied um, to the player who made the bad play. Right. And, and, and this time you, you could you could point to one thing very clearly, and that was the bad call. And sort of who do you, you know, so it's a question of, you know, it's easier to blame some of the outside maybe. And some of the psychologists I spoke to kind of thought that in the end it, it, it's kind of easier. You have a common enemy and it's easier to blame an outside force and that that may actually make kind of, accepting this loss uh, maybe a little easier down the road. In other words, be- today. because the there's no – we don't have to blame the team for this, and we don't we actually feel like we won this game. We don't have to blame ourselves sort of right. as an extension. So of if you're team. looking at sort of basking in reflected glory versus the blaming the team, this is kind of – somebody else took this away. It was snatched away by the referees. And it was. Yeah. <laughs> so – well, uh, do they have any advice for how to uh, how to cope with this loss? It's interesting. These guys are kind of sports fans themselves, and you know, I asked them, you know, well, how would you, you know, you know, what what should people take from this? And, and the kind of the response was, yeah, you guys got jobbed. Yeah, it's, it's hard any way around it. You guys got, you know, the rug pulled out from under you, and uh, you know, it's not life or death. Uh, and that was kind of the the way it was put to me. Is like, look, this is hard, but it's not. It's not life or death. Right, right. Well, my uh, mayor in your pocket has been getting heavy use today. He's got some appropriate sayings for the occasion, like maybe this you gotta one. You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, or... Excuse my French, everybody in America, but I am pissed. So, there's some... Uh, thanks, Ray. <laughs> some prescriptions from the former mayor. Well, um, thanks for joining me, John. Appreciate it, and uh, hope you get your voice back. All right, thank you very much. Go Saints. All right, joining me now is Feynman Roberts, a Jefferson Parish reporter for The Advocate. Thanks for coming by, Feynman. Great to be here, Gordon. So you've been covering this guy, Chad Scott, now for at least a couple of years. Uh, Mr. Scott is a former DEA agent, and he goes on trial uh, to, starting tomorrow, uh, Tuesday, in uh, the federal courthouse in New Orleans. It's kind of a big deal to have a Fed go on trial um, uh, facing some federal kind of, I guess, generally speaking, corruption charges. Tell us what Mr. Scott uh, – well, why don't you start by telling us how you began covering the story of Mr. Scott? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it was an interesting story. About three years ago in early February of 2016, um, one morning I got a tip from a source of mine. Uh, who said that the then head of the New Orleans DEA office had been marched out of the office by FBI agents. In the course of following up that, my former colleague, uh, Jim Muschin, and I 
uh, learned that was surrounding an investigation into a task force that was headed by Chad Scott that did most of its work on the North Shore of Lake Pontchartrain, that's in Tangipahoa and uh, St. Tammany Parishes. From there, we just started reporting the storm. We've been reporting its developments for three years now. And it's it took a while, took a long time for them to actually file charges against uh, Chad Scott, but the, the, a picture started to emerge early on. I mean, tell us what you discovered about this guy. Yeah, Chad uh, was a longtime uh, DEA agent. He became a DEA agent in the late 90s, I think 97 or 98. Before that, he'd been a tangible parish sheriff's deputy. And in both of those places, he developed a reputation as kind of a rainmaker, as a drug cop. He was uh, extremely effective at bringing home busts and making good cases. His supervisors praised him for writing great reports. But it also became clear during the course of our reporting that maybe his task force that he was running when he was a federal agent uh, on the North Shore was also engaged in some fairly questionable activities. And that's fueled, obviously, two of his uh, task force officers. And to be clear, task force officers are detailed to the DEA by their agencies. So they're sort of like deputized federal agents. Right. That's that's almost exactly right. And so uh, two of those task force officers were both Tangipoa Parish sheriff's deputies, and they were arrested very early on in the investigation and charged with a litany of things, using firearms to commit drug crimes, stealing drugs, stealing money from uh, from suspects and things like that. And both of them quickly pled guilty. And these guys, tell us their names again. It's Carl Newman. And- Carl Newman and Johnny Domain are the two deputies. Yeah. And those guys, were they using drugs? Were they selling drugs? I mean, uh, have they admitted to, what was their, were they doing this to get rich or were they doing this because they had drug habits or do we know? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there probably was some supplementing of their personal income going on. Uh, drug Trafficking is a high cash business, mm-hmm. and you're presenting guys who are not making a ton of money with large amounts of cash. One of their busts that uh, that they made, that the task force made, the guy was carrying allegedly eight hundred thousand dollars. So you're talking about a lot of cash. They were also using drugs, especially in the case of Carl Newman. I think Johnny Domain has admitted as much as well. Carl Newman uh, was allegedly ha- tested for meth, was found with meth in his truck when they arrested him, tested positive. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I think they were taking drugs and pills. Those were the allegations anyway, mm-hmm. uh, for personal use and also possibly to distribute. Johnny Domain was certainly accused of trying to resell some marijuana on the, uh, or pills on the open market. So, so, and then you've got, they're investigating this and Chad Scott's kind of the guy running this thing. And they know that some, some rogue stuff has happened on this task mm-hmm. force. And he's kind of the guy that they've trusted to be in charge of this task force. And so they keep investigating him and they have to sort of go back and investigate almost every case that that his, that he's touched. Right. Uh, Yeah. And to be clear early on, Chad Scott, uh, we reported and accurately so that Chad Scott was a focus of the investigation, though it took more than a year since Johnny Domain after Johnny Domain was arrested before Chad was indicted, but uh, the DEA did suspend him. And uh, as they investigated him, and that investigation included going back through dozens of cases that these guys had made arrests on and busts. And in some cases, it resulted in some really remarkable actions. Um, One guy who had pleaded guilty to his role in a revenge killing uh, in uh, Tangipoa Parish was allowed to withdraw his plea and the feds dropped the charges against him. Uh, his prosecution and the prosecution of his co-defendants has been picked up by the state. And uh, 
I think one case in that matter is still pending. Another guy who had pleaded guilty uh, to drug charges was also allowed to withdraw his plea and the feds dropped the charges against him and he went home within a week or two after this review. Other defendants got greatly reduced charges from what they were originally facing. So basically they're admitting that in some of these cases they can't trust their own evidence. Right. That's when it exactly was right. evidence that Chad Scott either his testimony or other evidence that yeah. he produced. The cases were tainted yeah. and they were worried about the implications of that. And and remarkably they, they dropped some of these cases without ever telling the defense attorneys exactly why they were dropping it. They just came in with a motion to say <laughs> we're going we're going to allow so and so to withdraw his plea. I guess uh, if you're the defense attorney at that point, you just take it and run, right? Right, right. I mean, kind of like the Rams. You, yeah. don't, uh, you don't ask why. You just uh, you just take the victory and go home. <laughs> or to Atlanta, as the case may be. Yeah, yes. Um, <laughs> all right. So so we're tomorrow we're, see, we're seeing this trial, sort of the, the trial will open tomorrow uh, with jury selection and opening statements and all that. But this mm-hmm. is the first of two trials that Chad Scott's going to face, right? Right. Chad and a... a fourth member of his task force, a former Hammond police officer named Rodney Guimar, uh, were originally indicted uh, in one indictment. Um, it was eventually superseded up to 14 total counts. Chad faces 11 of those counts. Guimar is mentioned on six of them. But in response to a motion from the defense, the judge split two sets of counts. And so this first trial that begins tomorrow is just Chad Scott. It's just on the first seven counts of the indictment all of which relate to his interactions with a, an alleged drug trafficker named Frederick Brown. And then in, in October... In kind of related to whether he railroaded him in his trial. Uh, not for, wait, whether he and Frederick Brown, whether he convinced Frederick Brown to I'm lie sorry. in the trial of yet another accused drug trafficker, a man who had the charges against him dropped as well um, after his conviction uh, in 2016. And also there's, uh, there's a couple of charges related to a truck that Chad Scott got from Frederick Brown. And those charges will go on trial tomorrow, starting tomorrow, and um, and then a second trial is scheduled for October. Okay. Um, and his, uh, in a sort of interesting twist, his defense lawyer is Matt Coleman, who may be known to some listeners as uh, he was the lead prosecutor in Ray Nagin's case, now in private defense. And in another sort of interesting twist, uh, Mr. Coleman prosecuted some of the cases that Chad Scott was a witness for you know, Chad Scott brought as a DE agent. Right. Uh, Coleman, a former federal prosecutor, prosecuted several Chad Scott cases uh, as a prosecutor and now defends Chad Scott in this federal uh, federal trial, which, by the way, we were mentioning earlier, is extremely rare for a federal agent to go on trial, especially in New Orleans. Um, when was the last time we saw one? Well, I, d- I don't know that actually the last time there was a we trial. saw a trial. Right. And uh, many of the people I asked even couldn't remember former um, former U.S. Attorney Harry Rosenberg, for one. Uh, but the last federal agent that I believe the last federal agent that was convicted of a crime in New Orleans, the last New Orleans base, was Darren Council in 1997 or 98. He was an FBI agent who admitted to okay. taking bribes. So 20, 22 years since yeah, the last Yeah, almost time a quarter century. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we will be providing coverage of the trial. Feynman will be providing tra- tra- coverage of the trial, I should Absolutely. say, and uh, look out for that. And uh, thanks for uh, joining us today, Feynman. Great. Thanks for having me, Gordon. All right. Okay, joining me last is Jessica Williams, who covers City Hall for The Advocate. Jessica, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. 
So let's talk about this energy situation. Uh, last week, we got news that uh, the city council was going to have a revote or reconsider its vote to approve this new power plant in New Orleans East. And that's still kind of where things stand, although now the revote has been delayed. Is that correct? Yes. So the council said Monday that the revote has been delayed. It intends to give its members more time to talk to each other about the proposals that were uh, unveiled last week to rescind and repeal, and also to talk to their advisors about those proposals. And also, it reflects a separate concern that uh, Councilmember Jay Banks raised on Friday with some uh, media outlets, that the vote should happen in one, and not, not in one meeting, but in two meetings, the Council's committee meeting and the Council's regularly scheduled meeting, in order to give uh, people from the public two opportunities to comment as opposed to one. Gotcha. Uh, and so the council has now decided in light of his comments and in light of apparently other concerns uh, behind the scenes um, to hold the revotes in two and then to hold them in February. Okay. Now, just for, for everyone's historical context here, this is all came about because of the paid actor scandal, which just to recap, um, uh, Entergy was caught using a company that used a company that was uh, hiring people to come to meetings with t-shirts and to read kind of canned speeches about why we needed this new power plant, correct? Yeah. So Energy, um, you know, had a contractor that had hired that hired another contractor called Crowds on Demand um, to have folks show up to the meeting who were professional actors who had no stake otherwise in the project to read from scripts to convince the council that it really needed to support this power plant. Um, and, you know, since the news of that broke, you know, there's just been an uproar among the folks that have consistently said that we don't need the power plant, the folks who consistently pack those meetings uh, to speak against the power plant and who felt as though the seats that the paid actors were sitting in were seats that they could have sat in, was comments that they could have been making, time that, you know, was spent on these people who really had nothing to do with the process, could have uh, been given to concerned citizens who really had a say. Gotcha. Let's hear what Council President Jason Williams had to say about it back in October. Clearly, a fine is certainly deserving of the behavior and the actions that took place. Uh, today, we're deciding and talking about a fine, I think, as a person who voted in favor of this plant, that we still need to have a conversation about whether or not we need to have another vote. So, and the council separately has has uh, voted or has threatened to fine or already has fined Energy $5 million? The council has threatened to fine Energy $5 million. Uh, it voted to start a process that would ultimately lead in a fine uh, on in October, I want to say, October 31st. And then now it's deciding to package the fine along with this idea of a revote, along with this idea of, you know, let's start the whole thing all over again wow. and give okay. energy, make energy, convince us why we would even need a power plant um, in addition to rescinding our initial approval. So all of that packaged together is going to be considered in February. Okay. So this is a part, I guess, it's confusing to me. It's obviously offensive to people. I mean, I think everybody is is bothered by the notion that Entergy did this, and that even Entergy has said they wish that. Well, they're haven't completely admitted responsibility for it, I guess, but they they've apologized for what happened. I guess the question that this raises is: Do we think? I mean, 
I don't know if you can answer this, but I mean, a council bef- uh, the, the question before the council is, are they, they're going to consider essentially the same evidence, I would assume, at this, at the, I mean, there was a long process of approving this power plant, and citizen input was, of course, part of that, but there was a lot of other kind of expert advice, and I, w- I guess I would assume that the record is going to be about the same in the reconsideration process. Have they talked about that at all? Um, beyond the proposals that were uh, submitted on Friday, uh, which said essentially we're going to resend uh, what we did before, and then we're going to open up the process again and basically invite Energy to submit its application uh, and let us review the record again. I'm not sure what else would be included in the process. It could be that the council asks Energy to more deeply look into the cost of the solar alternatives that some of the advocates have uh, championed. Uh, but at this stage, we just really don't know until it's before the council and we see what final proposal uh, they agree on, because there doesn't seem to be agreement on the proposals that were brought forth um, on Friday and were supposed to be considered on Wednesday. I see. So we don't really know, but we have no reason to expect at this point that the proposal is going to be substantially different from what was proposed the first time and that the arguments against it will be much different. Um, Certainly not from Energy's perspective. Energy has said all along that it needs the power plant, even as the council has sort of seemed to publicly, um, you know, retract from the idea or go back on the idea that the power plants needed. Energy has maintained its position, um, you know, even amid criticism over the actors that this power plant will help us um, keep our energy usage or handle our energy uses in the hot summer months um, and also will give us that local source of power generation rather than uh, transporting power in over from transmission lines from elsewhere. And they say that'll help uh, reduce things like uh, occasional blackouts and also maybe in the case of when there's a hurricane or something, we'll, we'll have a better chance of getting we'll have a better chance of getting a larger portion of the grid started more quickly mm-hmm. is the argument that they've consistently made. Okay. And they've also consistently said that, you know, the sort of uh, demand side management strategies that the advocates uh, for uh, more renewable energy sources have uh, championed are uh, too expensive and not they're not going to deliver the level of power uh, that the city needs in order uh, to really be able to serve its peak, what's called the, okay. the highest uh, load of the, the peak year. Load. Okay. peak load of the year. Um, we should mention that um, uh, another something that has changed is the composition of the council, even if we, we don't really know if the evidence they're going to hear is going to be any different. But we only have two council members, current council members who were on the council that approved this, correct? Yes, there's only two, uh, Jason Williams and Jared Brossett. And those were the two that said in October that we should consider the idea of doing this again. And they have not really indicated in any way whether they plan to vote differently. They're just, they, I guess part of what, what I'm trying to understand, and this may not be knowable at this point, is is this do-over process intended to just remove the taint from the paid actor scandal, or do we think that the council really wants to fully reconsider this thing? So far, what I've heard is that, you know, we need to focus on this taint on the process. And that's been the, the main thing that I've heard from the council members who have spoken publicly about this. Um, as far as whether, you know, the, the new council members uh, will be able to say one way or the other at this stage, whether the process should be, uh, whether the plant is even necessary, I think they'd have to see the record and see Energy's, um, you know, arguments for themselves before, you know, they would make that argument. At least that's what they've told me. Um, and so, you know, when that comes up, we'll be able to know a little bit more about sort of where the council is leaning. Gotcha. 
Well, this will be a drama worth following for the next couple of months, I think. Yeah, it uh, it's certainly something that has uh, drawn a lot of public interest uh, and attention. Well, thanks for uh, coming by to explain it today, Jessica. Thanks for having me. All right. The Neutral Ground is brought to you by Gardner Realtors, with music provided by David Bodie. We welcome your feedback and your ideas for future shows. Email me at grussell, with two S's and two L's, at theadvocate.com, or call me at 504-636-7437. Hope to see you next week.